I think it's important to say that when we research about Oxford, so this is institutional research that was done by the institutions to know more about itself and to then make decisions for the university, that that sometimes means it's not necessarily generalizable. Um, it's very context specific um, and Oxford is a very specific context and that's why we research it so that we can um, understand technology in that, in that context. But we decided to do it because it was important enough to us to need to know about the digital student experience and it was really about which technologies do our students use. Uh, the project was called the Digi Project, the digital experience, digital experience project or something. Um, and it's hosted out of, so I'm director of academic IT, so it's hosted out of IT services. So we're the central IT department for the university, we're the service provider across the institution. Um, so it was mostly about uh, trying to figure out what the central provision in the university, what we should be spending our money on, um, what we should be, should be making use of. And, uh, the research was done by a number of people, um, as you can see, Stuart Lee, um, myself, Liz, uh, Liz Masterman, um, and we had some doctoral research students from education and from um, anthropology who worked with us to do the surveys. Um, we surveyed and interviewed students, we interviewed staff, uh, we interviewed staff in relation to their perceptions of the student experience rather than a survey of staff skills, but what came out from the student interviews was their perception of staff skills, um, which I think is quite interesting. Um, the results give insights into the technologies that the students use and their perceptions of staff skills in relation to their own, um, and they were quite vocal about suggesting ways that the colleges and the university could, could improve their experience, their digital experience. Um, the percentages uh, are calculated from a total of 687, about half of the respondents were undergraduates. We did focus groups conducted with about 20 participants from all divisions and different levels of study. We also had seven students do uh, digital diaries or diaries um, keeping track of their use of technology through the day. That was two undergraduates, one research postgraduate. Um, and for top postgraduates. We had about 95 responses to the staff survey and we did 32 interviews with 37 members of staff, um, equal numbers of academic and admin staff and some additional library and IT um, staff and some senior members of the university to just try to get everybody's view. So the thing about doing this from Central IT is that what we were really trying to find out was what digital systems and services support learning and teaching at Oxford and the students' personal lives, and how these systems and services are perceived by them, and what shortcomings and gaps the digital systems and services had. We also asked them what they thought would be needed in five years' time. So obviously if you're doing an IT replacement, you're always thinking five years, ten years ahead. Um, and to see whether people thought it would be significantly different. So the findings were mostly um, sort of internal to the university. The research is published and it is available, um, but a big chunk of it is probably very um, internal to Oxford uh, with reference to our systems. 
I didn't want to bring any of that to you today. I saw that the other speakers were talking about <coughs> Facebook and Twitter, so I tried to sort of draw out some of the social media um, findings from the from the research. So, with regard to the technologies that the students said they they must have, we asked them what their top three must-have technologies are. 26% of the undergraduates and 25% of the top postgraduates said that Facebook was amongst their top three digital technologies. They said Facebook, Google+, YouTube are all important. 80% of the survey said that they used Facebook in their social life and their personal life, and 10% said that they used it to support their studies. But Facebook was used differently according to the level of study. So 87% of undergraduates indicated that they use Facebook for their personal life, and only 8% indicated they use it to support their studies. In contrast, 19% of the top postgraduates said they use Facebook to support their studies, and 76% in their social lives. YouTube is the second most valued social tool with 80% of undergraduates, 72% of top postgraduates, and 77% of research postgraduates using it socially. We asked them uh, whether they had used Facebook to help them to decide whether to apply to Oxford. 62% um, said they used it to obtain information to get to know other students during the weeks before their arrival, but only 15% said that, they, that Facebook had actually been a place that they were looking before they had, had decided to apply. It's the premier means of keeping in touch with friends when you move away from home and groups with similar interests. Um, they use it to keep up with social events. It's the, they, um, it's, they refer to it as the fastest way to find people that you've maybe met around Oxford. You'll search for their name and, and then you'll be able to find them. Uh, Facebook is far ahead of the other ones. Um, they said uh, Twitter featured in the lives of about half of the undergraduates, 40% um, of the research postgraduates. Reading blogs, they said was widespread. Um, at least three quarters of respondents at all levels engaged in reading blogs, um, but only 30% reported keeping a blog themselves. So reading other people's blogs is much more prevalent than writing blogs. <coughs> so you know this, this kind of um, stuff that they said. We have a Facebook group for our course, and we use it for social events. But there's a lot of um, course-specific content, homework assignments, information you need to know. I've uploaded this text, that kind of kind of stuff. So they create those themselves, though that's not created by the course leaders. Um, they also, of course, Oxford is mostly based on this um, tutorial system, and um, supervisions are generally arranged through a convoluted system of group bargaining and discussion on Facebook, while a single student negotiates times with the tutors via email. So their the communication with the email with the tutor is through the formal university email. But the discussion amongst the students as to who's going to have which slot is negotiated on <laughs> Facebook. And the, the relationship of the university with Facebook is quite interesting. Um, we have a long history with Facebook. Oxford, you'll know from the movie Social Network, Oxford was one of the first universities in the UK uh, to be part of Facebook. And it's a, it's a wee while ago now, but you'll remember that Facebook started as a sort of exclusive experience. You needed to be a member of Harvard to be part of it, and then they extended it to a few more universities, and it was all about what group you were in, 
whether you were in it or not. It wasn't open to everybody. You had to be a member of, a, of an organization. Um, so Oxford and Cambridge uh, were the first two in the UK. And there was a while, I don't know if you remember, when Facebook used to send an email to you every time somebody did something on your page, whether there was an update or someone sent you a message. And there was a while when, the, when more than half of the email coming into the university was from Facebook. Um, luckily, they've stopped doing that now, but it was overloading our systems. Um, so Facebook was born in, in Boston, but there's quite a few that Academia, EDU, ELG, Colwiz, um, LinkedIn, are all actually created by people who had spent time at Oxford. They're either Oxford graduates or they had come to us for, for periods of study, and I think that's quite interesting what why is it this institution, which is so exclusive and about networking, that um, causes people to create some of those um, same tools? Oxford is a very well-known brand. Oxford University Facebook has a million likes, which is actually more than all of the other Russell Group institutions put together. Um, but a lot of those likes are from the Indian subcontinent and in Asia. And I wonder whether it's partly that it's an aspirational brand. Mm. So there are young people who are clicking on it to say like, because they want it as part of their profile. I don't know that they're necessarily planning to apply to, to Oxford. It's also quite interesting to see how the students at Oxford use Facebook sometimes to recreate some of that exclusive social experience of being in groups or, or not in groups. There's a very large um, Facebook group called Overheard in Oxford, which is for, which has been created by Oxford students to basically sort of make snarky comments about other things they've heard, other overheard other people saying, and it's very much about the context in which we live, and we're overhearing this stuff in Oxford. Um, there's also things like hall surfing, uh, which is a basically a, a a game, a way you request. Um, to dine at, a, at another college and you move around the university by um, sort of giving places and invitations to other people in other colleges. And so it's that sort of, <coughs> they're using it to replicate those sort of social and ex uh, social but exclusive um, uh, spaces. So maybe the technology is just being used to support something that is happening anyway. Um, there's something interesting going on in the last in the last year or so, which is about um, people who are ox curious, and um, ox curious is um, people who would like to know what is going on at Oxford or what it's like to be at Oxford, but also um, the students who are at Oxford feeling that um, it, that it, they would like to be more open about what it's like. Um, so we have a group of students. This is entirely student-led, grassroots. Um, as a first student from my school to go to Oxford, I felt that the information on what it's like to live here was lacking. I wanted to see what the rooms were like, what the food, the people, what an average day entailed. There was official university material, but one is skeptical about the degree of honesty in these <coughs> publications, as, as it is inevitably biased. So this group of Ox tweeters, and you can follow them, hashtag Ox tweet, um, from a variety of subjects, uh, sort of congregated into an Oxtweet flock and started tweeting about and documenting their lives. So they were, they were tweeting every day and also video blogging um, about their days, about their lives at Oxford. We have the tools to connect people, but these tools are only as impressive as the uses we put them to. There are a wealth of free tools available for everyone. 
we're only limited by our creativity in finding new and amazing ways to use them. So this is what the students say about their use of technology. So we asked students about how they use digital tools to study and learn. Um, online resources are very much part of their studies. The students emphasize that <coughs> online sharing and storage of teaching resources, lecture slides, handouts, notes, reading lists are extremely useful, as are the recordings of lectures. <coughs> and the respondents who were freshers rated online copies of lecture handouts as very important or fairly important to receive before the lectures, about 75% of them said that, and after lectures, 88% said that. Um, the students use the library online, but the librarians still report enormous amounts of printing, so even if the material is electronic to start with, they're printing it out on paper. 55% rated listening to or watching a recording of a lecture afterwards as important to them. And the desire for recorded lectures was stressed particularly strongly by participants in the accessibility focus group. Uh, we also have several of the AUSU sabbatical officers at Oxford University Students' Union have, have um, run campaigning on platforms that are about getting more lectures recorded. Um, it's actually not a problem to get people to record lectures. Oxford has the largest collection of free online lectures of any of the UK universities, uh, even more than the Open University. Uh, we have, and we have 21 million downloads of those, but the problem is actually that a lot of those aren't the undergraduate lectures, it's the, uh, the higher level and the research lectures that are getting recorded. Um, the collection of lectures allows students to browse um, lectures that they may have missed. Often those are unique events that only happened once. And, uh, we recorded them and made them available so they can look up lectures that are going to happen in the um, in lecture listings and then they can also look to see if there's recordings of things that they've missed and any student can attend any lecture in Oxford so it's a sort of browsable resource. The podcasts, so, so, yeah, so the lecture recordings is a collection of podcasts listened to by about 70% of the respondents to the survey taught postgraduates access than more undergraduates, 64%. When we asked them whether this was a good thing, they said Oxford needs to keep pace with technologies. They didn't think it was undermining the Oxford experience. People won't stop coming to Oxford if they provide lectures online, but it increases the profile of Oxford science in general. They say, I like to search by topic. If you want, you, sometimes you just want to read about something and you don't know what to read, so they search through the podcast and see, <coughs> listen to, to talks. And also they like to see things from other universities. I'm at Oxford, so it's good to have access to stuff from elsewhere. I love podcasts and videos. I don't see this as study. I just love watching this stuff. So they, um, we know that they, they use the collection um, to, to see their own lecturers, but also to browse around and see what else is being, is being discussed. When we were asking the freshers when they first arrived, 71% said they'd heard of Oxford on iTunes U, 30% said they'd listened to podcasts before coming to university, and 67% of those said that they'd listened to lectures and talks on relevant subjects 
50% said introductions to the university. Um, yeah. The university is very protective of the tutorial system and the importance of face-to-face -face learning. Um, so the technologies that we have on campus are in support of that rather than any, any replacement of that. Um, yeah. Given that the university is investing in the technology, it's in its interest to have technologies around that shape. So something like a collection, a browsable collection of lectures sits very well with the browsable collections from the Bodleian um, and such. And we do tend to refer to the university collections uh, rather than libraries. We do, of course, have a virtual learning environment, um, and we know that students and st students look there for learning materials online. I think increasingly they are looking and expecting to find material online. Uh, but the feedback that we have is that they find it hard to find materials for their courses. The devolved nature of the university means that often the virtual learning environment has become quite complex as well. That the names of the spaces and the routes through from one thing to another um, are very locally determined. There's no suggestion from the center of the university as to how it should be organized. Um, lecturers are free to do whatever they want with the spaces that they have. Um, where departments have made a particular effort to consistently organize the material across courses, uh, the students comment that that's great, that's very positive. The, the students in those areas will refer to WebLearn as being really helpful. Um, the students in the areas of the university where they're struggling to find stuff will refer to WebLearn as being not very good or not very helpful at all. And we can tell that it's those, those areas. Um, so we, and we have, but it's used across the institution. Medical sciences have 680 sites in WebLearn. Social sciences, 930. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not a niche activity. Um, and on any given time, we'd have 20,000 logins. Um, in a day from the students trying to find stuff, whether they're logging in over and over again because they can't find stuff. <laughs> they have a very intensive um, study. They only have eight weeks of study at Oxford, so the volume of stuff hitting the virtual learning environment during those number of logins during those weeks is very intense, and then the, uh, the, the numbers completely drop off and WebLearn has a very distinctive profile in its, in its use. We know that they use um, e-books and uh, electronic materials for their study um, while writing my dissertation. <laughs> I needed to know how many times Iago was called devil. I realized there was a time in my life when this would actually have involved counting. But luckily no counting was required. <coughs> Hold up an online dish on Apple left to my heart's content. <laughs> In case you wonder, um, the answer is actually none. He's called villain five times, but only after being called eight, honest eight times. We also looked at um, digital literacy skills, um, particularly looking at how the students choose to come to training events that are run by IT services and, and the library. Um, we asked students in the survey whether they felt they had IT skills adequate for their courses. 85% of students responded yes. But their certainty, certainty about their level of IT skills was slightly lower at the higher levels of study. So falling from a yes response of 93% in the undergraduates 
down to, to 90 and then down to 85 by the research postgraduate. So probably a sign that the, the IT tasks are more, are more complex as well. Um, they, when we ask them how they like to learn those skills, though, they tend to talk about the undergraduate said, I'll, I'll use Google to find an answer to how to use the technology. And the research postgraduates and the top postgraduates were far more likely to say that they would look to a central department to see if there was a course in their um, department or in the centre of the university. And we really see that, that the main, the largest group of people attending IT training, IT courses, um, is the postgraduates, very much less from the undergraduates, particularly resource, uh, courses about research skills or using um, those kind of uh, more data management packages or um, bibliography packages. So um, we offer about 600 courses and we have 22,000 uh, participant hours. So students come, this is the teaching out of the center of the university in IT skills. Um, about 800 of the students attend three or more courses. Um, the courses got very positive feedback in the, in the research. Um, there's also a, a couple of quotes, um, which I actually don't have today, I think, in these slides, but where the students refer to using the list of IT courses provided by, by us for them as the way to sort of do training needs analysis on what skills I might need. So in the absence of there being any lists of IT skills needed for research or for, um, for postgraduate study, they will look and see what we provide and go, oh, I've never heard of that, or maybe I should get some of that, or I'm going to sign up for those kinds of things. Um, so the catalog is actually a, a guide to what you might what you might need. Oh, here it is, yeah. So one thing that's nice about the courses is they cover such a breadth of topics. Every week I look at the list of courses that IT services offer. I notice there's some gap in my knowledge, so I look forward to attending some more courses, especially ones related to designing web pages and videos. I wish we had a list of IT skills would have been useful to know at the beginning of the course. I firmly encourage everyone to come here and round out their skill set. It occurred to me very shortly after starting my DPhil that 100 years ago my advisor would have been asking me to be fluent in Latin. Actually, it would be much more recently than that. <laughs> because that was a mark of an educated person. Now having a wide range of computer skills is what it takes to be an educated person. I think it's worth saying something about the technologies that students bring with them. <coughs> the majority of students in focus groups rank mobile phones amongst the essential tools in their lives. They use their smartphones in a variety of ways. Um, I would forget everything without it. They use smartphones for reading emails, less for writing or sending emails, mostly just checking your email, checking Facebook, synchronizing calendars, communicating via messaging tools. They one student reported the first thing she did on opening her eyes each morning was to check the email on her phone. One student said that it, she had used the smartphone as a wireless hotspot to connect her tablet PC to the internet when her college wireless service was not working. Students another student described how he would use his phone to photograph the whiteboard during tutorials instead of taking notes and would later show the, share those photos on Facebook 
with his peers. On average, a third of the survey respondents used, used at least one calendar to organize their academic social and social lives. Um, they tend to synchronize calendars. So, so this kind of, I mean, that kind of thing is a real signal for, for us that we need to make sure that the different calendaring systems work and the different emails. So we have SharePoint, we have Outlook, we have dozens of email systems around the university. So we need to, to have to get those to work, to work together. We had a focus group specifically around accessibility, and it's the kind of things you would expect. Um, about 4% of undergraduates, 2% taught postgraduates said they use assistive software or hardware, the usual things, um, concept mapping tools, OmniPage Reader, ClaraView, ClaraRead, MindGenius, Dragon. And Dragon um, voice recognition was actually the one that had the largest overlap into the group who didn't identify themselves particularly as um, needing assistive technology. They were just using um, voice recognition tools for, for doing their writing, reading and writing. Um, we also discovered some stuff about how they use technology to um, cheat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say it here, but you're going to tweet it, so it's not a closed room. Um, I think there is something about very high stakes, very high risk, success at any cost, what are you prepared to try to get away with, and what your attitude to what you think you might get caught. So if you believe that your IT skills are so much higher than the people who are teaching you, that there's some fairly elaborate... Um, stuff that goes on, ways to cheat, beyond cut and paste and poor referencing. I mean, there's really some very entrepreneurial stuff going on in terms of trying to, to cheat using technology. I want to say some things that are about Oxford as a distinctive, distinct context. Um, the biggest complaint amongst the students at Oxford is wireless coverage. Um, and that's very challenging for the central IT service because a lot of it isn't, isn't in a state that we actually control. So the colleges, 40 independent colleges who all control their own physical estate, never mind the virtual estate. So whether they choose to put in the technology around wireless coverage is up to them. But the students see that across the board as Oxford. So they will complain about the, the wireless coverage at Oxford how ridiculous it is that a 21st century institution should have such bad wireless coverage and you sort of want to say well we've got it in all of the public areas and shared areas but it, you know some of those colleges nine foot thick walls and you know, so it's just not beaming across the deer parks and into the punts in quite the way that the students would like. Uh, there's also something definitely confusing about the collegiate um, shape of the university. It is 40 independent organizations and then you've got the university with all of the different departments and divisions and units. So the digital experience of the students in trying to get that information is, is important and, and troublesome and we need to get this fixed. I remember when trying to register before coming to Oxford, I was very confused as to what all these different sites were for and what I would be using them for. So it's, it's very devolved IT. It, it's just you know the Wild West in terms of people putting up uh, sites. 
The disparate nature of the university means that colleges and departments are not even remotely consistent in the range and structure of the information they present, which makes it very difficult to contrast different options when applying. The admissions section of the website is labyrinthine. I assumed it was a deliberate choice along the lines of if you have to ask how to find something, you aren't smart enough to come. <laughs> Once I found information, I made sure I printed it out as I could never guarantee I would find the same page <laughs> twice. So you can see the printer is Oxford getting a little <laughs> The students' perceptions of the use of digital technologies by teaching staff at Oxford is very interesting. Um, on average, the students do not rate the competence and use of digital technologies displayed by teaching staff very highly. The students seem more likely to rate staff as less IT competent than themselves. So they think they are better at using IT than the academics. Oxford undergraduates do not necessarily expect or even want high levels of digital technology by university staff though. So that's the difference. Although they rate them low, there is no evidence that they want or expect it to be better. So according to students' perceptions, there's a marked variability in the IT competence of teaching staff, frequency and quality of their use of um, digital technologies in teaching. Um, 32% yeah, rated staff competence is equal to their own. More students at all levels rated staff as less comp competent than themselves. Um, only 15% rate staff as more competent than themselves. To be fair, we didn't ask them questions about what competence was. That was just it was just their perception of that. And postgraduate students particularly were quite condemning, um, whereas the undergraduates found staff to be more competence, they said things like this. In my department, technological knowledge doesn't seem to be a priority. It varies greatly. Some tutors seem incapable of getting a DVD to play. <laughs> Others are very good with PowerPoint, etc. <coughs> and they don't seem to have the time to familiar, familiarize themselves with technologies that would make their life simpler to manage. I've been surprised at how poor the IT skills are of, of some academics. I'm a mature student myself in my 50s, but I expected academics to be making maximum use of the potential that digital technologies offer for accessing the wealth of databases and research materials that is available. Most of the ones I know, though, though extremely clever and intellectually effective, make only the most superficial of digital use of digital technology, seeming to conceptualize it in no more sophisticated way than, for instance, a typewriter or a telephone. Definitely digital immigrants. But opinion is divided as to whether IT competence on the part of academics is particularly relevant to the student's experience. As some students did not see the cutting edge of use of digital technologies very important to their experience and had come to Oxford seeking quite a different kind of experience, I think particularly amongst the undergraduates. Um, when asked to rate whether the use of digital technologies as they expected, the undergraduates um, mostly said that it, that it was as expected, and not very many of them said that it was more than expected. So it seems to actually fit their expectations, although they're not impressed by the level of skill, they didn't seem to expect it. Um, undergraduates were least impressed with the use of technology. Um, 
the when asked, so you would think that would then mean that there was a demand. Um, so we asked the staff, uh, when asked whether their students are demanding greater use of technology in tutorials and classes, uh, the reply from staff was that they're not. Um, so the so these kinds of quotes, I have a tutor who, so we were asking about use of technology, but I have a tutor who doesn't have a computer and relies on handwritten notes and phone calls. It doesn't really make much difference. So, um, let's face it, it's Oxford. We're not famous for our netbooks, we're famous for our books. We've got the biggest paper library on earth. Our digital library is somewhat lacking, but that's okay. Actually, I've been relieved and pleased the staff do not rely more on digital technologies. I feel that their verbal input is of preeminence importance. That's why we're here and not taking courses online with cyber tutors. They don't use PowerPoint much, and that's great. I love that lecturers are not dependent on PowerPoint. So staff said that they're not being asked, particularly by students, um, to use technology in the classroom. We know there's a sort of interest in recorded lectures afterwards, but technology in the classroom or, or mediating um, uh, interaction, uh, there doesn't seem to be a demand for it at all. Uh, one tutor commented that students do not ask for things to change in general as much as she had imagined that they would. In fact, they seem to be acculturated into Oxford very quickly um, and either do not come with many expectations of use of technology or do not keep those expectations for very long. They tuck in very quickly with what we do. <coughs> I think it's actually, um, the, we were surveying students, but it is kind of a disservice to the academics to not mentioned that there's no reason to think that they actually um, aren't partic are particularly backward with technology. Um, you know, the students are logging into WebLearn in their 20,000s, the lecturers are putting material there, they're using the virtual learning environment. Um, <coughs> the university does very well um, in any uh, sort of uh, league tables of teaching and research and graduate employability, um, so we must be doing something all right. Um, the university, obviously, the lecturers use technology in their research, or in enormous um, use of e-research um, e methods. Um, we're the largest single user of JSTOR uh, in the world, uh, six million requests from Oxford every year for journal articles. Um, the, Enormous collection of recorded lectures shows that they're prepared to think about how technology allows them to meet new, uh, to reach new audiences and to disseminate their, their teaching. Um, so they're not shying away from it. But it may be that the lecturers are actually sort of deliberately not using the technology that supports learning and teaching, taking a particular pedagogical view on that. They know that the students use technology in other parts of their lives, and they would tend to say things like, they need to learn that not everything is online. But, you know, this is where they learn how to use the library, how to go back to those original sources. Um, so I, I suspect that the lecturers actually are taking a particular position with regard to technology, whether that's, a, uh, and that's actually fitting the, the expectations of the students, but I think that more widely it's perceived slightly differently, that they're failing to engage with the technology, but I don't, I don't know that it particularly is true. 
Will staff, how they thought technology might change the student experience in the next five years? Um, this was last year and nobody mentioned MOOCs. Uh, if you ask them this year, they might say something different. Um, the way they tended to talk about the way that technology is used to support teaching and learning. Um, they were interested in mobile devices, um, e-books, podcasts. Uh, some of the departments have given all of the students iPads. You know, they've heard of this. Um, it's more to do with the sort of um, handheld devices rather than um, uh, any significant change in the in the education. Um, they predicted. Several people mentioned they thought there would be a huge explosion in the interest in um, podcasts, but nobody really was feeling that the demand for face-to-face -face courses would decrease. Um, and in fact, yeah, more people applied to come to Oxford this year than any other year. So, um, the teachers said, no matter what the technologies are, people who are reading left to right are probably still going to continue to read left to right. Grad students are still going to struggle with how much time their literature reviews take and how much time it takes them to write their pieces. They didn't. I've been at Oxford five years, so if we're predicting again another five years, um, it hasn't changed all that much. Close face-to-face -face interaction remains the best way to help clients, <coughs> students apply new concepts and overcome the issues they encounter, lecturer said. To probe humanities, students' ability to construct a coherent argument from multiple sources. Um, they're very protective of the need to protect one-to-one -one teaching and develop, rather than to develop online ways of studying. Few of them could envisage online courses achieving the particular kinds of dialogues and responsiveness that they would want. Um, as one tutor who's an active user of technology in his teaching pointed out that what might seem to be inertia is actually a system that still works. He warned that Oxford will have to be careful to safeguard the value of the place as a counterbalance of the dehumanizing processes of networking remotely. For him, it was very much about the judicious use of technology to support models of learning that we think are important and should be perpetuated. But that equally, the special quality of the Oxford experience is no longer an excuse for outdated methods or technology. So we have to keep up with things, but choose them in a way that underpins the, the way that we want to teach. The outcome of the research for the university <coughs> was mostly around um, those things about getting consistency across the institution and trying to make sure that whatever the technologies that were being used, things like wireless really was their main thing about the student digital experience. They wanted to be able to get to all of those things very easily on whatever um, device they had. And so that's kind of where we're putting our time and effort. They're clearly making use of all of the tools um, that are around for all of the kinds of things you would expect. Um, and the, in terms of the five years, um, that sort of investment in infrastructure is rather than developing new tools is where the university is putting its, putting its effort. So, um, that's kind of a run through of, of what we 
what we found that the as I say I can I can point you to the report it's available um, and I don't know if I actually have time but there's I'm happy to take questions about any of that so I don't know if that was what, what you were expecting yes thank you <laughs>